Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to StageCraft. Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to Susan Laurie Parks and Oscar Eustace. Parks is the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright and MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, whose plays include Top Dog Underdog, Venus, The Red Letter Plays, and Father Comes Home from the Wars, Parts 1, 2, and 3. And Eustace is the artistic director at Off-Broadway's Public Theater, where everything from Hare to Hamilton got their start. The Public is also where Parks' latest play, White Noise, is now running in a production directed by Eustace. They're both here with me to talk about the play and all the hot buttons it pushes. Race, art, slavery, and, of course, bowling. Hi, Susan Laurie and Oscar. Thanks for joining me. Pleasure, Gordon. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. I wanted to start by uh, talking about, uh, you know, what is clearly the sort of most urgent issue addressed in the play, and that is, of course, bowling. Um, for people <laughs> for people who have not seen the play yet, there, mm-hmm. there's this fairly extraordinary like setup where they're, they're taking actual balls and they're bowling them at the audience underneath us, I, I guess depending on where you're sitting, but where I was sitting, they were underneath us, right. um, and... Uh, it's apparently it works like a bowling, like an actual bowling alley, and there are these little gutters that then carry them back to the performers to use. And it, does it does that actually is that theatrical magic, or did that actually happen? Are these a, is it an actual working kind of bowling lane? No, actually, we have a whole group of very small underprivileged children <laughs> who are called pin boys who live under the stage, right? And well, it's thematically appropriate, I think. Is that- <laughs> In exchange for free tickets to all the public to all the public shows, which is not nothing. Shows. Let's be yeah, honest. That's pretty great. They don't have to stand in line for Shakespeare in the park. They can just work. No, there's a no. We do not. Do that. Of course we not. Would of not course do not. That. Breaking news. No, 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 any no. theater director yeah, exactly, who would try to do that. Exactly. What 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 the the um, the bowling is the essential physical activity of the play. Yeah. It it was from the moment that Susan Laurie started conceiving it. Um, mm. The, the bowling, of course, the climax of the first act and the second act take place in the bowling alley. Yep. And the thing I was sure of when we started working on it, that the actors needed to be bowling straight at the audience, mm-hmm. that there was no other relationship 
that would dramatically make sense. And fortunately, the genius designer Clint Ramos mm-hmm. and our brilliant production team yeah. with the public figured out how to make that magic happen. Does it ever not work? Like, do the bowling balls always get to the right place? No. The bowling <laughs> yeah, okay. balls yeah. sometimes get to the wrong place. Right. They, they now, in preview, they got to the wrong place with greater frequency sure. and more surprising <laughs> results. Yes. Now that we are through the preview period, right. it is very rare that a bowling ball ends up in the Although wrong place. Although once I was backstage a couple, maybe last week, you heard, you read about it in the report. I was backstage and just right in the little hallway, and a bowling ball came shooting Oof. into the hallway. And we were all like, what the fuck? Right? <laughs> and everybody, Jeremy and the whole team were on there. It's just bad. I not Anyway, they were you all. should there. not be revealing our dirty bowling You're ball dirty. on <laughs> Gordon's podcast. But, 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 we, but we, we watched the replay, and Tommy had actually kicked the ball off the stage. Oh, oh wow. So there was. Oh. A, because the, no, because the scene was so intense at the end that some shit was going down yeah. and Tommy Sadowski Ralph in, yeah, in the play, Ralph. Yeah. kicked the ball off the stage and that was an intense moment. He, so here's a question. How <laughs> good of a bowler how good of a bowler do the four cast members, including Thomas Sadowski and David Diggs, this is a great cast and Zoe Winters and uh Sharia to help me with the last name Irving, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Uh, how like how good did were there bowling rehearsals and how extensive were they? Um David took bowling lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is that true? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we actually forced David to take yeah. bowling lessons mm-hmm. uh, because he was so bad, began. or no, because, because <laughs> the, the fact is that his character Leo is so good, and we wanted, right. wanted, wanted some. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Well, yeah. And we we all went bowling as we a cast, which was yeah. uh, really exciting, really fun. And who is the best bowler? The among thing, the, uh, Sharia. Uh, Sharia is the oh, yeah? best bowler. Okay. And uh, yeah, and Jeremy, Jeremy, our assistant stage manager, okay, okay, brilliant, fucking brilliant. Oh shit, amazing. He's so good. Yeah. 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 He, he's our ringer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but what, I, what, what, what we soon realized after um, spending some time with bowling lessons is because nobody in the play actually has to knock pins down. Yeah. That's not what they're well, doing. Um, what they're doing is actually throwing the ball. That we yep. realized that the look and confidence with which they threw was way more important than their ability to Accuracy. actually in a real bowling alligator. So we began to work in a slightly different way. Right. So, all joking aside, bowling, as you alluded to, Oscar, is is very important to this play, right. and it is very. Uh, right. Susan, let me tell us a little bit about kind of bowling. where bowling, bowling came from and how it what kind of bowling. opens up what the rest of the play is about. Yeah, I mean, where bowling came from. Yeah, for me. Yeah, like, exactly. Why, yeah, yeah. Why, not why it exists. Why, period. Why but yeah, <laughs> I know why bowling. You know, I mean, uh, this. You know, I used to watch my parents bowl. Um, they were. Uh, my dad was in the service, and we traveled around a lot, and wherever. It, when I was growing up, wherever you moved, there was always a bowling alley. And bowling, while there are some in the world, of course, highly skilled bowlers, uh, my experience with bowling is for my parents is that you didn't have to be great to participate. So right. they would go out in the evenings and meet, you know, be, they could be social right when they arrived in town, which right. was lovely. And they would go bowling, and I would watch them take their bowling balls and happily go and join a new group of friends, right. new friends. Right. And sometimes I would go with them and just sit in the back and just watch them bowl because it was cool to watch. I just enjoyed mm-hmm. it's repetitive, it's, uh, uh, you could say, violent without being really violent because right. you're basically hurling it. A ball at some things and trying to knock them down, you know. So, yeah, you know. 
And and so, but then why for you was it a an integral part of this play as you were as it was coming yeah, together for seemed, you? It's it's also it seems, uh, although it's you know I'm, it's played all over the world. It seems because there is a bowling alley in the or there was or there I've heard <laughs> I've never mm. actually seen it. Yeah, in the basement there's a bowling alley in the basement of the White House, maybe right by the fallout shelter. I don't know exactly right. what it is, but um, it seems just an integral part of American. Literally, it's an integral part of the American subculture. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh-huh. And I was joking with David the other day. It's part, probably part of the Underground Railroad. Is a bowling right. alley. <laughs> um, so you know, so it just, it just was in my, in my guts for a long time. And right. Yeah. So I just put it in the play. And then, as the, the talk a little bit more about the play itself and kind of where it uh where it came from and kind of how the idea came to you and when you started to think about it as a play and as these group of characters in this story friends right it started uh, i mean by now we've like told the stories i was gonna go over and over to each other yeah um (laughs) no but so i was in the uh in the very theater that where it's playing in now the osbarker theater at the public theater um and in 2014 there was a play father comes home from the wars March one two and three that i'd written and there was a part uh, a moment in that play where uh, the uh, lead character, a hero, who is an enslaved person, right. play takes place in 1860. Right. And he is imagining the future, what it will be like to walk down the street as a free man, and if he is approached by law enforcement individuals. Um, and, he sa- and they say, who do you belong to? And he says, I belong to myself. Will they leave him alone? Will that be, you know, who owns right. you? I own myself. Right. Will they leave him be? And his friend, he's, he's asking his friend, and his friend Smith says, you know, I don't know. And so I watched that scene over and over and over, and I thought, I have to write a play about the future, hmm. which is now. Right. And it started from there, basically. Right. And that moment of that, that hands up, don't shoot moment basically happens in this play at the same spot on the stage. Oh, yeah. So it's very exciting for me just yeah. being a dweeb like that <laughs> and that is for yeah. people who haven't seen it that is sort of the inciting event of the play right. it is right. a thing that happens to david Diggs's character and inspires the right the uh, action the action yeah. of the yeah. um yeah of the, yeah um and did did you have a sense of what the broader where it would go from there like did, did you have a sense of oh this play is going to be this as you started out on it and if so how did that change as it developed <laughs> I'm looking at Oscar for like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, uh, uh, this, like, I saw, I started in this place going to be that. No, no, I didn't. Yeah. I just knew it was going to be contemporary. It was going to involve some people. And they were going to go through some shit. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of all I knew. And then, right. and then, can we talk about the names now? Yeah, please. And then, yeah. yeah. And then I started telling myself a dumb joke. And this is what I now know, um, probably by working on this play, because... Every time we work on a new thing, I think we learn about, we can look back at our old works with greater clarity, maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe sure. not, but for me it happened this time around, where I was telling, we were at Yale, right? We were at yeah. Yale doing yeah. something. Uh, <laughs> Wyndham Campbell. Well, we, sorry. That's the wind, Yeah, we were there, and, we, and you had directed... A, Pete, the, the monologue from... Uh, uh, Leo's monologue from the opening of White Noise and the little piece from Top Dog. Right, and then we were in a Q, like a Q and A with the audience. That's right. And I just started running my mouth. Right. That's right. You did. 
my favorite thing. All right, but blah 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 blah. It's like Ralph at one of his one of his club uh-huh. meetings. Blah 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 blah. But I was telling the audience like where the names of the characters came from, and I said, you know, so it's Leo, Dawn, Misha, and Ralph. Those are the names of our four characters. And I said, anybody know the Ninja Turtles? Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael. And right, so it's like a dumb, it's like a dumb joke. It makes you laugh. Yeah. And so what I realized, oh shit, that's what I do when I write. I tell myself a dumb joke. And once I tell myself a dumb joke, then the floor drops out, and I descend rapidly into a very deep, dark, and frightening and difficult place. And, yeah. and if I can say that for this show in particular, rapidly was mm-hmm. for me a key word. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing about this place. And Lori and I are pretty close. Mm-hmm. I didn't know she'd start started to write a word of it until we were up on Martha's Vineyard working on another play, oh. uh, which is also going to be a great play, by the way. But when suddenly I just said, you know, I just wrote this first act. I think we could just take the actors from the other show and just hear it. <laughs> And How long ago was this? When was this? This was the uh, August of 2017. So not that okay. long ago. Right. Yeah. And uh, I said, of course, yes. <laughs> and the actors that afternoon read what is not unchanged, but very much the complete first act of White Noise. And we hit the intermission and everybody on the table burst into tears. Mm-hmm. And... The intensity of the emotional reaction was partly because of the content of the play. The play is so powerful. But partly, I think, it was a kind of aesthetic shock because mm-hmm. all of us, having spent our life in this profession, recognize when you're in the presence of a completely assured voice. And the mm-hmm. voice of this play was mm-hmm. totally present from the first moment. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you, you just feel you're in good hands from the moment mm-hmm. Leo opens his mouth. And it sounds very different from any of Susan Lloyd's other plays. Mm-hmm. But it has its... How so? The, um, I mean, do, if, if we talk in that um, much disputed word style. Mm-hmm. It, it is a kind of heightened, realistic style. And you can have all of my coffee. <laughs> now and any other time. Um, it's, it's a kind of heightened, realistic style that is much less um, uh, uh, formally uh, ostentatious than most of her other plays. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's linguistic, there's bravura linguistic things within it, but they are essentially subsumed into realistic dialogue. It feels more like a realistic play than anything that mm-hmm. Susan Lee's written for. And yet, it's also totally understandable. I, I, mm-hmm. I at one point was trying to convince Susan Lawyer to call this Father Comes Home from the Wars Part 9 mm-hmm. because oh, wow. to me it is the extension of Father Comes Home. But right. it's and that that sense, and this is the thing that I see Susan Laurie do that I know very, very few writers who can do this, is that when they tap into something and drop in, she's inside of it. She's inside of not just what the next sentence is going to be, mm-hmm. but what the world and language mm-hmm. of this playing character in a way that was just um, really fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so... Mm-hmm. Susan Laurie, to explain, what's that like for you? What, what did you tap into? What did you find when you dropped into what became this play? What uh, And what surprised you about I that? I feel like I was dropping into, I mean, it sounds corny, but I feel like I was dropping into the present moment. Yeah. And that's yep. what makes the play yep. so fucking trippy. It's Absolutely. like, now, it's now. And yeah. it's like, now again. Ooh, here we are, now again. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it, it's right on the now and it 
it's uh it's exi- it's exhilarating for that reason. And, and I think it, it's exhilarating, and it's also a work of art, which means it's actually kind of hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. And we found that in general with audiences, audiences are having very powerful responses. Yeah. They're not finding it easy to talk about their responses because mm-hmm. the sort of what I feel about the brand, certainly what the goal of the production right. was, was to take everybody and pull them into such detail of the experience of the characters that we didn't have a chance to sit back and right. put people into the categories that right. we're, we're putting them into, that we actually right. just are stuck in the point of view of the characters. Right. And, right. of course, particularly, I, I feel like this play is written for me in the specific <laughs> sense of it's written for an audience that feels that it's woke, that feels mm-hmm. that on mm-hmm. some level we get the history of racism in this country and we get the problem of black right relationships and we've struggled with it and we see it clearly and the play goes oh you think you see it clearly mm-hmm. no you don't mm-hmm. it's way deeper than you think and so it it shakes you up it shakes mm-hmm. me up mm-hmm. on a kind mm-hmm. of visceral level yeah. that's really did it shake you up writing it susan Lang? oh yeah, yeah. oh let's not how did you oh, i mean it, it, yeah i mean compared to plays like Let's just—I mean, Father Comes Home, the worst took a long time. Top right. Dog, Underdog, took uh, to be—I mean, took no time at all relative right. to this play. Top Dog, Underdog was—it was like it was just poured into me in a kind mm. of way, you know. Hmm. This play, I feel like I was, you know, tunneling through solid rock, you hmm. know, or right. going to do a—you know—you remember those boys in that. Ta- in that cave in Thailand yep. uh-huh. last year, whatever. Sure. Yep. Remember, I mean, yeah. I feel like I was one of those. I was sometimes the boys in the cave and the rescuers. I was going through, and you know, through water, through rock, through darkness, through you know, listening to the voice of these people who needed to be brought to the surface so that they could survive. Right. Somehow, and that's what it felt like, and it was horrifically difficult. I mean, it was horrible because it was horrible. It was awful. No, because I had to hold in my mind, in my heart, in my guts, the the consciousness of four people, four different people who the world has shoved into four opposing corners. And right. so I felt like actually I was being quartered. Huh. And I don't think that it wasn't comfortable. Yeah, but my husband kept saying, "You have to keep going, Christian." He was like, "You have to keep writing. You have to keep writing." And I would jump up from my desk and go, ah, 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 "I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't do this. Just sit down. Write some more. Write some more." I mean, that was really the the process of writing. This play. <laughs> it, was, it was like, "Oh fuck!" And it yeah, was about so. was it about the the topics that were being addressed, like the sort of you know all the sort of hot yeah. button issues that you're talking about, and also about the kind of. Yeah. Pull of all the different characters, the four characters that they. The topics, the the topics of being addressed, and because they're being addressed by people who have just four different points of view, I had to. And because the way the play works, which I'm, I got to say, I'm very proud of that we, the the play, loves all four characters equally. The play roots for, cheers on. All four characters equally. So when we, we hear Leo's solo or Leo's lines or we watch Leo struggle, we're rooting for him. When we see Ralph's struggle, we're understanding him. Even yeah. though we might not agree with him, we get where he's coming from. I, I understand. Right. I get it. Right. I'm vibing with you, Ralph. Every right. word that comes out of Ralph's mouth, I agree with. 
Right. It's just it's Ralph is the character played by Thomas Sadowski for exa- people who don't and, and yeah, and the, yeah. The, I mean Dawn. I get where she's coming from. Misha, right. yeah, I'm understanding right. her. And so it's presenting these these subjects in in a way that's including all the characters. Nobody in this play, no character in this play, gets thrown under the bus. Right. And um, we're all on the bus. We're all right on the bus together, um, sitting wherever we want, and that's really hard to maintain as a writer when you're creating that from nothing. Yeah. Because usually we side with one character against another, right. you know, but yeah. not this play, which is why I think it's so disturbing, I think. Or so heartbreaking, in the heartbreaking wide open, and now I can, like, talk about things that I couldn't talk about before, yeah. you know. Because I realize it's okay to have these conversations with my friends, or you know, right, right, yeah. The um, the kind of uh, as we talked a little bit about the in- the inciting event of the play, or the thing that comes out of the right. inciting event of the play, was a thing that when I thought early in its run and didn't know what was going to happen in this play. Right. And now it's it's a little bit out there. It's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. a it is a Leo, the character played by David Diggs asks his friend to do something um yeah. do you think of how do you think of how do you prefer people to come into this play is that a, do you want it to be a surprise it's kind of out there because it's been in the reviews sure. and things like yeah, that yeah, but yeah. um how did you think of how do you describe the play to people as they uh yeah what do, as they're coming into it i have more of your class. i actually don't know how to describe the play it's a play about bowling as you said yeah. <laughs> um, the uh you know, what is certainly true is that there is an innocence that the early audiences have of not knowing that it's a play that's going to be about slavery in a very real way that is um, compelling. But what has been exciting to me is watch that the audience response has not in any way dissipated or been watered down by the mm-hmm. fact that a lot of audience members are walking in knowing that information now. And people have yeah. seen it now two and three times. I mean, and, and, we're, and we're, yeah. still, we're still getting, you know, gasps from the audience. We're still getting people say, you know, fuck no, right. you know, at certain moments. And so, you know, like with any good drama... Knowing the story isn't screwing up your appreciation of it. We all know what happens in Hamlet, but it doesn't make it a good point. Yeah, or like Oedipus, right? I mean, how people watch. We all know how that ends. That's true. Even back in the day, you know, they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna go watch this play, yo." Yeah, and he's gonna. Yeah, right. Spoiler alert. I mean, it didn't diminish the (laughs) right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So hopefully, it works like that. Um, Yeah, can I say one other thing about bowling, Gordon? Because I wish you would. Just because this this is this is you know going to help characterize how geeky I am, but for me the thing that has been with me from the moment I read this is Robert Putnam's book Bowling Alone, which for those of you who haven't read it, it's it's a came out about twenty years ago and is a landmark work of sociology. is an astonishing book, and he uses the decline of bowling leagues as the image for the decline of American civic life. For the way, see, cool, right? I hadn't even read that book. Right. The whole and, rehearsal process—you didn't tell me about. No, 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 oh, no. That no, is no. what—that's what 
I'm talking about. I got. That's I, I, I got to keep some of this stuff close to the rest. But the, the book is it's, it's yeah. totally worth rereading. I mean, it's it, he's, an, he's an amazing and and what he, his contention is is that the breaking down of sort of the post-war American consensus in civic society can be traced by the decline of bowling leagues, the decline of unions, the decline, all uh-huh. of these non-political but civic organizations where people organize uh-huh. themselves as a community. Right. And to me, the bowling team that is the four characters in the show and mm-hmm. the, 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 the band, Clover, mm-hmm. that is the four characters in the show, that coming apart is a perfect container and holder mm-hmm. for what the play is actually about. Mm-hmm. It's about mm-hmm. those relationships falling apart and fragmenting. So, little sociology shout out. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in line with those people. That's what I'm talking about. But, what I mean is, but I appreciate that that someone you know people have thought about this because that's right. what I could feel, and not yeah. having the, right. the scholarly right. reference, uh, but right. I could feel that, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Susan Lar, you are the master writer chair yes. here at the public. Or SLP. The, uh, SLP. Yeah. yeah what yeah. is that? <laughs> what is that? Um, what does what that mean? That? And what how does that? that how how? What tell me about your mean? sort of usual interactions. I feel like I'm a. Uh, 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 you know, like a prof- not, a, but emeritus is not right because professors no. emeritus high. I retired. Yeah, that means you're not. I'm not a retiring. I'm no, not the retiring not. type. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I'm the hardworking type. You know, so I, f- I feel like Oscar because it was his idea to bring me on as the master writer chair. Right. How long ago and now? That was, was a while like ago. Ten years yeah, it's a ago. decade. Decade. Yeah. A decade. Yeah. I know. A decade ago. Yeah. And I, I proof uh, of concept, no. yo. <laughs> I mean, seriously, can, can I actually you can say something about this? Talk. You so talk. this is this is partly. I've had a long uh, interaction throughout my career with the university system. It's uh, uh-huh. my parents were academics, although I'm not an academic. I am a professor. And what became clear to me at a certain point is that what the university provided, in addition to education were places for intellectuals to practice their craft. Mm. Martha Nussbaum sits in a chair of philosophy at the University of Chicago, Mm. not in order to teach, but because our society has decided that universities are the institutions that should support philosophers. And Mm -hmm. that's part of the University of Chicago's function, is to support a great American philosopher. Mm. Theaters should do exactly the same thing with playwrights. Mm-hmm. That's we that we needed to say, wait a minute, it's our job as nonprofit institutions to provide a place for the artists who make up our field to practice their craft. So we created the Master Ride Show with the indispensable help of the Mellon Foundation, who mm-hmm. haven't given us money for it for many years, but they were beautiful thought mm-hmm. partners, Diane Ragsdale there in, in starting this program. Mm-hmm. We brought Susan Laurie on and the whole idea was here's a master writer chair, you don't have a job except to write plays. Mm. And what I think what Susan Loy has done over the last 10 years, if you look at Father Comes Home from the Wars, if you look at Book of Grace, if you look now at White Noise, is demonstrate that the existence of that space, that chair to sit in, has made possible a glorious renaissance of her writing mm-hmm. at a point in her career where an awful lot of American playwrights have ceased to produce anything of interest. Mm-hmm. And she's producing the greatest work, mm-hmm. uh, forgive me, the greatest work mm-hmm. you've ever written, I think, in the I last think so. I think I've 
getting better. And that's, <laughs> to me, as a materialist, that is just proof positive of the fact right. is that you, if you take a great artist and you give them the security and the space right. to do their work, mm-hmm. they will reward you as a society a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. It's what we should be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so how, how does it fit into kind of the other things you do, Susan Laurie? Like you, you mentioned uh, before we turned on the mics that you're working on a TV show also. I and know, like how, what is I it? You're in the hard part of that TV show, uh, writing yeah, yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so how does that, how does, the, how does that feed into, how does this, how does your work at the public and feed, the, into, feed into kind of everything you do? Yeah, and how does well, it fit it, into it, your whole it, career? It allows me to, well, I want to also mention things at the public because something I'm, uh, also excited about here is watch me work. Yeah, this, I, I was um, going to bring that up. Yeah, That's this, just... this, this, um, and it's a basically it's a free writing class, and anyone can for, come, right? Anyone, anyone yeah. can come, and if you can't yeah. physically be there, actually in person, you can tweet us your questions, mm-hmm. and I'll answer you in real time. And it's about the title's called Watch Me Work, but it's about your work, your right. creative process, not mine. And I'm very proud. We've been doing it for ten years, and. Yeah. It's every week, basically. It seems pretty like. much yeah, every week, yeah. and we can get because we do it on the mez, on yeah, the mezzanine, right. uh, right. in the lobby, basically. Yeah. And we we just welcome anybody who wants to walk in off the street and 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 get some feedback about yeah. their writing or their any kind of creative project that they're working on. Um, so it, that's I'm very excited about that because that the master writer chair has given me the opportunity to create this community of people who um, need uh, encouragement for their work. And How has that in turn encouraged you? Well, it's, I mean, and that's one of the things we we're talking about, that sometimes um, the best thing to do when you feel, when you begin to question uh, your role in the world or what the world is doing is to be of service. And um, it's really important that I am of service to, uh, you know, my actual students at NYU right. or my, you know, students you know i'd watch me work who come and go as they please right yeah so it's really joyful it's a very very joyful thing Um, and helpful also i think uh, people say they get a lot of help from the the class but um but then we have yeah these these ginormous things like tv writing tv Mm -hmm. shows and writing movies and i did the oh yeah you do we should mention we should mention native son which just got released yeah on hbo yeah i know it's a big 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 week i know like what's up with all that stuff but i i i do think that being here allows me the freedom to be of service to the culture in all aspects and so while maybe another writer might have to take jobs just to make sure that the the food bill is paid or whatever um, because I don't have to do that I can be very uh, mindful when I say you know I would like to do Native Son Um, I'm not doing it to make a a check right you know and and also from my own observation The difference between Susan Laurie and other writers is, of course, she's going to work in film. Of course, she's going to work in television, partly because of the financial roads and partly because they're great mediums with really interesting things to do. But because she's got the chair, it means that no matter what else she does, she's got a home in the theater. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. that stays a serious part of her life, Mm -hmm. not just something like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get back to the theater. But the next five or seven or 15 years are going to be filled up with these TV projects. But maybe when there's a it's just like she can go do whatever. 
whatever she wants in right. film and television. Right. And her home is right here. The chair right. is sitting here. And that's, that's to me, mm-hmm. the ideal of a sort of balanced life mm-hmm. that right. we should mm-hmm. be providing for more artists. Yeah, so, and yeah. for me, theater is where I get to do my deepest uh, digging. Right. You know, my most thorough uh, and thoughtful uh, and difficult explorations of the human condition. Yeah. You know, be- and because, you know, it's presented in real time, live people right. talking to the living, yeah. um, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's like nothing else. So you can't beat it for that. And then, you know, when you do a TV show or a film, you reach maybe more people, you know, e- more easily, you know, and that's right. cool. But, you right. know, there's, there's nothing like the living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what's on your plate next, Oscar? What are you up to? You've got a. You've got. I, I mean, the rest of yeah. this season and next season, <laughs> yeah, and, and then the summer and the park. There's a lot of things going on. Um, none of them more important than White Noise, which has been just a seminal moment in my artistic life. Honestly, mm-hmm. I've just I have loved this process, and the fact that Susan Lowy and I have been close friends for thirty years, and mm-hmm. that we get to do this, we teach together. We, we do. You know, it's just it's just such an affirmation of a life in the theater. This is what you hope for. You hope for a life where yeah. you create relationships that actually extend over the course of your lifetime, and that mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, Does this play have a life after? Um, oh, it's it'll, the public? there's no question it has a life. We don't yeah. know what that life is going to look okay. like, but yeah. um, mm-hmm. we hope it'll grow up and, you know, get a job. But, you know, right now, the, 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 the overarching task, I'm, I'm nearing, you know, the, the, one can see the finish line of my <laughs> career, not oh, in the immediate, mm-hmm. but, you know, a, a few years down the road. Um, the big job that I have now is to try to uh, make sure that the gains that we have made at the public theater uh, over the last 15 years are permanent right. yeah. and mm-hmm. that what the public theater stands for, not not just that it will institutionally survive in perpetuity or as long as the climate allows us to survive, but that also the things that it stands for, the example that it sets, the model it sets for other than the influence that we can have over the culture is permanent and firmly embedded and that's in order to achieve that you sort of have to work on a lot of different fronts you have to make art that matters to people mm-hmm. you have to make art that reaches people that don't normally get reached by that art you have to give people the chance to make art who aren't given the chance to make that art you have to build an institution including a board of directors that understands what it stands for you have to yeah. have the buildings the places the palaces for the people to contain mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you, you got to Get the money in the bank, the reserves and the endowment mm-hmm. that allow Which you. Know, is why you're you have to do that a suit. lot of different things. That's why, why I'm wearing, wearing the suit really today. Nice. <laughs> yep. I no, you know what? I woke up and I said, "I'm going to be on the radio. I'm going to put on a suit." suit. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he looks good today. You're wearing that three-piece suit. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, the, that's the really exciting thing for me right now on a, on a macro level. You know, when I when I have to get out of the rehearsal room and do something else, it's trying trying to make sure that. Uh, that this institution and what it stands for is a permanent part of the American landscape. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And Susan Lawyer, what's next for you? Work. Yeah, you're working. You know, what I'm, you know yeah. what I'm doing. Some more work. Can you tell us about the TV show? Some more. It's it's Aretha. They're doing the, uh, the yeah yeah. The Nat Geo is doing the and uh, Imagine Brian Grazer and Ron Howard's company. They're teaming up and doing yeah. the next installment of the Genius series, and they did. They started with Einstein and right. then Picasso, and now they're doing Aretha Franklin. Yeah. And you know, I'm just honored to 
be asked to help tell her story. And they are so yeah. lucky to have you. Yeah. And, and, and just a, it's just a, a, a joy, and what a great force she is. Yeah. Do you work on multiple plays at once? It sounds like because Oscar <laughs> oh, was telling about a play. That, okay. <laughs> what, what's coming yeah. next then? Which yeah, one's well, coming? It's, it's like if you you're in a room and you have many turntables. Yep. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Like on different levels. You know, like a turntable near the ceiling and a turntable on the floor, and every table has a turntable. Yeah. So on each turntable, and you, Oscar, you work like this too, and we all do. We got, you got a different you got a different right. Mm-hmm, you got mm-hmm. a different piece of vinyl spinning on each turntable, yep. and that's kind of so today it's. You work yeah. on that one, and then bing, 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 bing. you get that going, and <laughs> yep. you kind of get that going. So you're doing, so you're a DJ kind of, yeah. or, and, or, yeah. you know. And let's, let's just say then, <laughs> then you know that puts me in the the suit with the pencil on the calendar, trying to figure out when is Susan Laurie going to be enough done with the that right. we can right. start rehearsals I for the know. next show. Right. The next show is going to be fantastic. I know. Right. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> and we got the show. Right. We got, we the, got show. the show. We just okay. got to get it into a calendar. I know. I know. Can but you tell us anything about that show and what it's about no, or no? No. Oh, okay. But, it, it, but, it, but uh, That was my guess. Know, but, but, but maybe you'll come back again. And oh, I'm sure we will. Yeah, exactly. Because this is so much fun. You know, it's best. I feel like I feel my work is best developed um, with some level of privacy, yep. you know, you like the pot, the, the water boils best with the lid on it, yep. and that's yep. really my my work. Yep. So, right. yeah. Well, we can't wait to see it when it's ready. Um, thank you both. Thanks for doing uh, thanks, this. Nice Anna. to talk to you. Thank you, thank you, Gordon. you so much, Fun. Gordon. Fun. Thank you. That was Susan Laurie Parks and Oscar Eustace, the writer and director of the new play White Noise, now playing at the Public Theater. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. Next week, I'll be talking to Kelly O'Hara, the Tony-winning Broadway favorite who's now back on Broadway in Kiss Me Kate. Until then, see you at the theater. wondered how your favorite performer actually feels well here's your chance welcome to the quiet part out loud with me bobby steggert broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of broadway creatives part interview part therapy this is not your typical podcast we'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists what they still struggle with what lessons they've learned what they haven't figured out yet there's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud are you listening Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.